0: Welcome to Arizona Boomer Radio with the Boomer and the Babe. Arizona Boomer Radio gives voice to 1.4 million boomers throughout the Grand Canyon State and beyond. Each show has a different guest and a different topic. We hope you enjoy the relaxed, conversational style of the show. Nothing fancy, just boomers sitting around the table talking about stuff. Now, here are the hosts of the show, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And, yes, indeed, here we are. It is Monday, the 19th of November, Thanksgiving week, and uh, this is Arizona Boomer Radio with the Boomer in the Bay, Pete and Deborah. Deborah's not here today. She's uh, once again out working with clients, and so we're not going to have her, uh, her visiting with us as part of the show. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, we want everybody to uh, realize that we do more than just this radio show. If you'd like to go to boomerandthebabe.com, see everything that we're involved in, and sign up for our, uh, put your name on our mailing list, you'll also be able to get our uh, monthly or every six weeks uh, online magazine, Boomer Experience Speaks. And we hope that you do that. We hope you enjoy it. A lot of the articles in there are written by people that have been guests on our show. And today we have a gentleman that's going to be visiting with us, and uh, we've known him for some time. We were introduced to him several years ago. He's been on our other radio, uh, previous radio shows. He's always a lot of fun and always interesting to talk to. I billed him as a raconteur, a man about town, Mr. Jack San Felice. Jack, how are you this morning? Hey, great. I'll tell you what, except I'm suffering a hangover from my Steelers
1: losing last night.
0: Oh, my goodness, yes, you're Steelers as yes. well. You know, you didn't have Big Ben with you last night, so uh, that was probably part of the problem. That was. The second guy, he was hurt. He was injured uh, at the end. He just couldn't He couldn't uh,
1: throw that long pass.
0: I'll be darned. I'll be darned. I didn't, I didn't see the game last night myself. I was busy watching something else on PBS about the Dust Bowl. It was very, very interesting. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, Jack, um, as I said in the... Uh, in the intro that uh, we've had you on the show before and you've told our uh, listeners before what it is and where you came from and how did you come to be in Arizona. And, and so why don't you, by way of uh, a little bit of a bio or a two-minute movie, as Deborah would call it, give us information about Jack San Felice and uh, our, whether or not you're a native Arizona and where did you come from, what is your past, and uh, then we'll get into how and uh, and why you got involved in the things you're involved in now. Well, basically, uh, I grew up in a small steel mill town in western
1: Pennsylvania called Beaver Falls. Um, From there, I uh, went in the Army, and then after the Army, I joined uh, – well, I went to Geneva College there and then went to uh, join a police department in Washington, D.C. I spent three and a half years in Washington, D.C. Then I – Signed on with the Prince Georges County, Maryland Police Department, from which I spent the rest of my thirty years in law enforcement and Prince George's county is is halfway between Washington and Baltimore, just outside of washington d c and I had a lot of experiences there, including some ghost experiences but uh, after the after my time uh thirty years i we my wife and I wanted to go somewhere where it was warmer weather. And so we uh, we decided on Arizona after checking around various places, and we've been out here for 20 years now, and we're just loving life. And I got involved in uh, all kind of escapades as soon as I got here, got involved in uh, prospecting, silver mining, lecturing at community colleges, uh, didn't go back to work nine to five. Uh, I started doing a lot of things I liked, including uh photography, studied under some professional photographers, and I did uh, a lot of weddings. I did a, all kind of different photography. i downside downsized that, and I've become more of a writer now and a lecturer. So that kind of is a thumbnail sketch of uh, where I am at this time. And, and then uh, about four years ago, I got involved in ghost hunting uh, with a group of ghost hunters or paranormal investigators, as they like to call themselves. So Feet, that brings us right up to speed.
0: I I want to go back just briefly because I, I seem to recall and I and I, and I and I and, and it is a recollection so therefore it, it may not be accurate. Um you had some interesting let's uh, let's go back to your days as a police officer. Uh you had some interesting investigations in in the police department, didn't you?
1: Oh yeah, sure um uh, wow, I was in, I've been in very, uh, you know, many, many different units, including robbery, missing persons, chasing down missing persons, robbery, uh, where we had kidnappings in um, charge of that, and Special Operations Division, Tactical Sergeant, uh, uh gee, just a lot of experience of working in patrol, working around the clock as a duty commander. Um, just about every facet of police work, I think. I was in communications, press information. Uh, just you know, thirty years you can do a lot of different things in police work. That's one of the things I got reasons I got into it. There were so many different avenues. You didn't just stay in one. You made the choice and, and you worked toward it, which way you wanted to go. Yeah, I had some very interesting experiences. Uh, one was a um, um, dealt with uh, kidnapping, in which we found the victim. About 45 minutes before she um, would have died from exposure. And so we, uh, that's one that sticks in your memory. And one of a little boy that was uh, alive, and his parents reported him missing. And he was about between two and three. I never forget that case. He was alive, and they tied a cinder block to his leg and threw him in the Patuxent River. Uh, or Potomac River, boy, that that was those were two uh, two of the uh, many 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 incidents that I remembered. But I also remember going up to the cemeteries uh, after hours. Me and my partner Harvey Looney, we would have our coffee and Dunkin' Donuts. And and he he liked going to go into the cemeteries because uh, it was quiet there. He said, "There's nobody here alive that'll bother you." So that became kind of a favorite place of ours.
0: And what was a good policeman without his his coffee and donuts, right?
1: Well, that's it. And old Harvey liked jelly donuts, too. He was a a typical stereotype of the policeman. Liked his coffee, liked his jelly donuts, and would get our Dunkin' Donuts, you know, fresh. uh, About 3 o'clock in the morning, go up to the cemetery and have our coffee and donuts.
0: But then you came to, you came to Arizona you, re, you retired to Arizona and uh the first one of the first things you got involved in if i'm not mistaken because i i'm trying to recall this from from previous shows that we've done together um you were involved in the the silver mines uh, right i one of the first things i got involved was prospecting and looking for
1: mines and i got involved with some folks who were trying to reopen the famous old silver king mine north of superior and it was a the Silver King mine itself uh is fraught with um uh stories and voices, uh ghost stories, voices of uh, the undead or whatever, and it used to scare the bejesus out of some of the workers up there in the evening hours. And also uh the the old cemetery, the old Silver King Cemetery not far from the mine, uh, at the evening I would hear um stories about voices down there, so one evening uh my wife and I were on our way back from globe, and i said well let 's go up to the to the old Silver King cemetery and see if we can hear these voices. So we drive up this bumpy, bumpy road it is twilight, and we 're bumping along and it 's one of those you know real quiet, quiet times, and we get into the cemetery and There's these old uh, cast iron fences around, you know, like like out of an old uh, Vincent Price movie. So the, the darkness is settling, and there's these old fences, and it's real quiet. And all of a sudden, you hear children singing. Well, that scared my wife silly. She said, let's get out of here. There's no children up here. We were five miles from Superior. There were no, there was nobody else around, but you could hear the voices of children, and don doing. It, it spooked you, you know. And then I got goosebumps myself. I didn't get scared, but I got the goosebumps. I wanted to investigate a little bit further and find out that several children had died at the Silver King Town during the 1800s and were buried there at the Silver King Cemetery. Some died of disease. One died of a bite by a centipede, if you can believe that, and one died by a rattlesnake bite, and another young boy was shot and killed. So those were just some of them, and if you reminisce and think of the past when kids played games in the evening, uh, before television became such a phenomenon, and before the computer and texting and all of this stuff, technology, kids would play games in the evening outside on the streets where they lived. And the sounds that they made at Silver King Cemetery were very similar to those sounds. I go back to my childhood in Beaver Falls and remember those sounds of children playing Kick the Can, Red Rover, those old-time games, King of the Mountain, whatever, and those, it just brought back so many, so many memories of my childhood. So I, I really never got scared, so to speak, and wanted to do more investigation. And I did, I did go back. I went back with, with folks with uh, equipment. In fact, I wrote about these stories in my book on the Silver King Mine, or eventually wrote a book on the Silver King Mine. It was kind of spooky how I came across um, uh, the folks that worked it. There was nothing there at Silver King, and then one time I go back, and there's this hole in the ground that's open, it was a shaft, and I could see people down below. Not see them, but I could hear them, and I could see the lights, and I kept hollering. They couldn't hear me, of course, because sound travels up in the mountains. And so I climbed down these sets of ladders, 256 feet underground. And they're working, and with uh, drills, and they can't see me, and they can't hear me. Finally, I yelled and tapped one on the shoulder. Man, did he jump! I guess he thought I was a Tommyknocker. If you remember the movie about the Tommyknockers, those are the spirits that inhabit the old mines, and it's an old Irish or English folklore that these creatures called the Tommyknockers, or the spirits, or fairies of the mine. So I guess he thought I was a Tommyknocker, scared scared the heck out of him. And then I got to know him, and then I became part of the mine. I've been part of it for almost eighteen years now. That kind but, of brings me up to death, up to speed on that. And then we have done since I wrote the book. These ghost hunters, uh, the paranormal investigators, contacted me, and we've done a lot of research up at the mine.
0: Now, when you were in the mine. Uh, you went down there was a there was a story I think that you went down there by yourself one time for some reason is that? Yeah, I went
1: down went down inside the mine myself. Exactly.
0: And you were alone. Yeah, I was alone. And what did you find?
1: Well, when you, you you go down in one of those um old mines with just a flashlight and yourself, you get down in there and it's the gray. Everything's gray or blackish like And it's real spooky, like, when you're down here by yourself. And you can almost feel the, you know, the presence of something else there. And, you know, the hair on your arm sticks up. And you're looking around every corner. You expect to encounter something. You hear strange noises. Old, Old factories, old mines make noises by themselves. They make their own noises. And these noises are enough to spook you. Uh, Later on, we found out there was more to uh, the noises than uh, met the eye because we went back with some paranormal investigators and we actually recorded some of the voices and actually talked to people in the mine shaft. And then I was able to get a photo of a face coming out of the shaft. And I have a little device called a laser grid device and it throws out a grid and if um if any electromagnetic energy passes through that grid it'll break the grid and so the one evening we were there it was breaking the grid and we were have we were about seven people that i realized had been killed inside the mine but maybe more maybe as many as a dozen so i'm i'm there uh at night with these two gals from california and we're Recording voices, and I'm talking to people and trying to find out at what time, era, what era, what time frame, what year they were there. Because the mine had been open since 1870s up to 1922, and um, it appears that the folks we were talking to at that time came in at the 1905 – the, well, they were tried to reopen it, the 1905 period. And finally, after about 45 minutes of talking, we got this voice recording, and it's a recorder that has instant feedback on it. And it said, with a very demanding voice, they said, leave us. Now, the gals got a little shook up, and they said, let's leave. Let's get out of here. And they asked, by the way, before then, how many of you are there? And they said 12. So, you know, being a policeman and being a skeptic for a long time, you wonder, um, are these things really true? Do you see them? My role really in this is to be an investigator and to write what I see, what I hear, what I feel. Uh, I've gone into places where I've actually gotten nauseous, and the the temperature has changed a lot. That's some of the things that I experienced up at Silver King, in addition to another story, one of my favorite stories up there, about um the owner of the old Silver King mine and the um a cowboy and a girl. There always has to be a girl. There's a you know, a cowboy and then there's the owner of the Silver King Hotel. And then there's a girl involved, and I'll take a break to let you ask some questions or move on.
0: <laughs> I, I just, Jack, I just enjoy listening to your, listening to your stories and your accounts of of, of what's, uh, of what's going on. Uh, I, I and I'm I'm getting this. I'm remembering this from previous conversations we've had and previous shows we've done, and i and it's coming to, just coming to top of mind here. Uh, tell us the story of. Uh, I don't know if I've got their name right on Big is it Big Nose Kate?
1: Oh Big Nose uh Big Nose Kate, right. Now Big Nose Kate, it is a funny story about Big Nose Kate. Uh, Kate Honnery actually was Kate Elder, Kate Fisher, she'd been married Kate Cummings several times. And Kate uh was a friend of Maddie Earp when they were in Tombstone. After the shootout in Tombstone of Wyatt Earp and the Cowboys, uh, Big Nose Kate, who was Doc Holliday's woman, moved on to Globe. Of course, Doc and uh, uh, Wyatt Earp went on their vendetta ride, and then they were wanted by Arizona authorities. They wound up in Colorado, and and Doc died there in Colorado at age 36. But in any event... uh, Kate moves to Globe where she opens a boarding house and the top floor was a brothel and Maddie or er, Wyatt's second wife uh, who was left uh, by Wyatt cuz Wyatt then uh took up with uh, um a younger woman named Josie and uh that's the whole story in itself hold in the movie Tombstone or Wyatt Earp, the two movies. But but Maddie didn't get along with um, uh, Kate. They both were pretty much strong-willed independent women. And Maddie took laudanum. Laudanum is a, a mixture of opium and alcohol. I believe that's what it is. And because she had severe migraine headaches, well, she became addicted to this. And when you're coming down off of one of those You get nasty. Some people's personality changed, And with Maddie, it did. So Maddie um, went one way, and Big Nose Kate uh, went another. And after a succession of uh, uh, husbands, uh, Big Nose Kate, uh, Kate wound up in uh, Prescott. And while in Prescott, she, she aged, and she wanted to get into Pioneer Society. Well, they wouldn't take her because they said she was a madam and a prostitute. But she said, "No, no, I'm not that woman. She died, and she's buried at Silver King. She got some of her friends to go to Silver King, dummy up a grave, and put a headstone there and Then she went to Governor Hunt and appealed to him to get into Pioneer Society, so they did a they did some checking up. They went to Silver King Cemetery, sure enough, there was a headstone there that said Kate honory, and that was uh that was all she needed to get in the pioneer home where she lived I believe well into her 90s and uh then as i said the story of Maddie Herb, which was widerb's second wife that takes a different twist to it but uh you know we i never did find the spirit of her cuz it's pretty hard to find the spirit of uh somebody wasn't buried there <laughs> she actually was buried at the the uh pioneer cemetery up in Prescott. That was Kate, Big Nose Kate or Doc Holliday's woman. Uh, and then we take off on the Maddie story, which is another one in and- I'll give you a break to answer a question.
0: Well, how how yeah? Let, let, let's get to some of these questions that I have here. First of all, how was it that you ever? What prompted you to get involved in ghost hunting? I mean, of all the things that you've done in your past, all the things that you were doing with the with the Silver King Mine, and I know you've written stories about the superstition cowboys and and uh, the superstition mountains. How did you ever get involved in ghost hunting? I mean, was there a, a natural progression to get to ghost hunting, or is it something that just kind of popped up in the night? 19- so to speak well it just it,
1: be, it it just was one of those things that popped up in the night, and that's exactly when I went on my first ghost hunt at night. These folks that were in this paranormal investigation got a hold of my book when Silver was King. They saw it about the ghost voices at Silver King, and they wanted permission to get go up there and do an investigation and since we had a a night uh, uh or rather a security guard up there and the gate was locked. They got a hold of me and found out that not only was I involved in Silver King, but I had become uh, one of the uh, partners up there, and I had a key to the gate. And I said, sure, I'll take you up there one evening, and if that's what you really want to do. And uh, so we did. We went up there and started in the dark. And that th- then from that time, they uh, kept calling me to go on different ghost hunts with them, and eventually i became a part of the group known as ghost to ghost and a paranormal uh group we've done around the valley here mostly on the east side we've done quite a number of ghost uh experiences uh, a lot uh around silver king mine globe a lot around the old town of Mi- the old mining town or a historical um town of Florence, which had a lot of very interesting things that happened there, because Florence was the county seat. They had the courthouse there, also the penitentiary. And and I can take you into a real interesting story from there about Winnie Ruth Judd in 1930. Let's hear it. Okay. Winnie Ruth Judd was married to a doctor. She worked in Phoenix at a medical place. And the doctor was like 25 years older than her. Well, and he left Phoenix because he didn't have employment there. He went to California to find a job more suited to being a doctor. Well, in in any event, Winnie took up with a couple of other gals, and then they found this other fellow named Jack Halloran. Happy Jack, in fact, was his nickname, and Jack would come over to where these gals were staying, and they would party. They would—he would bring booze and cigarettes, and not only booze and shit, but he would bring other people. And so there was a lot of um, uh, intertwining, let's say, between Jack Halloran and these three women, and there, there, were, an amount of jealousy occurred there. And not only a amount of jealousy, but then they introduced other women. Here was the downfall. Here's what created um, the term trunk murderess, which Winnie Ruth Judd was called after this because she was accused of killing two of her roommates, her friends, who became her friends, and cut up one of them and put them in a trunk. One of the girls, one she stuffed in a bigger trunk. Once she put in another trunk and then shipped the trunks to California, contacted her brother who lived there. They were going to put the trunks in the ocean. Well, guess what? Uh, the trunks leaked, and they were locked. And when she got to California, she took off. Uh, the authorities questioned her about you know, these smells coming out of the trunks. And so she took off, and they found her, of all places, in a funeral parlor. In a funeral home, and she was arrested. They opened a the trunk. She was arrested, and uh, Jack Halloran was arrested. But Jack Halloran was was a businessman, and he was a smart guy, and he had friends in local uh, law enforcement district and in the county attorney's office, et cetera, et cetera. And he was able to get off. And the the um, the murder charges were put on Winnie Root Judd. This took place in 1930. And she had a sanity hearing. She was at station at the, she was in, in put in the the um, penitentiary at Florence. The penitentiary of Florence is the place where they did executions. So she was scheduled, she was convicted of first-degree murder and scheduled to be executed. Well, uh, another story I can go back to anyhow, I'll get to that story in a minute, but let me finish it with Winnie Ruth Judd Winnie um incidentally, that's my wife's nickname, Winnie, and she doesn't you know she doesn't like to be identified with Winnie Ruth Judd, so uh that's a little story on the side anyhow, <laughs> Winnie Ruth Judd got a hearing at the Florence Courthouse, the one built in eighteen ninety one and she was found to be mentally uh deranged. So they put her in the mental institution downtown Phoenix, where she escaped seven times. And after she escaped they put her in the penitentiary before they decide what they're gonna do with her. And she had she had more than one hearing at the courthouse. Well, a couple of years ago I was at the courthouse, we were doing a, a paranormal investigation. And I go up on the floor, uh, and I'm going through a litany of names of people who might be involved, and I come across her name, Winnie Ruth Judd, because I know she had this hearing there. And doggone, my 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 light my EMF meter started jumping off the wall. So I continued with a series of questions and responses on my EMF meter for about 45 minutes. Very um, stressful to pay attention to something like that. And I was exhausted after this this episode with Winnie Ruth Judd. And uh, uh, Winnie Ruth Judd, uh, and I asked the question how she escaped, and did she have a key to the place? Of course, then the lights went up. And then in a story I read later that she, indeed, someone had given her a key to the front door. So she escaped from the, the um, insane asylum seven times. One time she was gone for six and a half years. Eventually... She was released and uh, turned loose. And I've gone back, you know, and had further uh, contacts with Winnie Ruth Judd at the old courthouse. And uh, one time we were there, and I saw a face in the window. Uh, It was nighttime, and I saw a face in a window. And uh, while I'm um, talking to or trying to get information from Winnie Ruth Judd, and uh, doggone it, if it didn't look like her face in the window. And that was that was a weird uh, coincidence. And uh, going back, uh, being an old policeman, you know, <clears throat> I went back and did a lot of um, research on Winnie Root Judd, and I've come to the the conclusion she probably did not do the murders herself, or she was made the scapegoat. And in fact, one of the reasons that her spirit. Uh, still is hanging around is that she wants to be absolved of these murders. And I'll give you a chance to ask a question.
0: Well that the that brings to my you see her spirit is still hanging around. Is it the case with any of these ghosts that their spirits are hanging around for some well, I particular, to, yes. for some particular reason and they're waiting to be uh freed or whatever you want to call it so they can continue their passage? Exactly. Now, that's the story I got from two very learned individuals.
1: One, a very uh, – let me put this. um, uh, Let's say a pastor, okay, who's Uh very um, sincere in his religious beliefs, and he believes that uh, they are the spirits of the people that have passed on and they cannot – they can't go through from one this portal to the next uh because they keep holding on something violence happened to them or the other person who is was a homeopathic spiritualist believed that the anger that they have keeps them here uh on the earthly plane because they can't pass on that anger holds them And they're angry because something has happened to them. They were murder victims. Or in Winnie Ruth Judd's case, she believed that she – and stated many times that she didn't do the murders. And she's trying to uh, um, resolve that issue. And so they are holding on and holding on and holding tight. Or they're looking for another spirit to – Seek revenge or get an explanation, maybe, and then move on to the next plane. I know this sounds all ridiculous uh, to some people, but if you think about it, uh, there have been so many ghost sightings. And I can di- I, going back into ghost sightings. I'll give you the history of uh, a, a fella by the name of um, James Kidd, and this is one of the reasons I guess I got involved in uh, with these ghost hunters. James Kidd was a prospector that disappeared in uh, 1949. He never married, never had children, and uh, he never was found. His body was never found, but his belongings uh, was put in probate, and they would check through occasionally see if anybody went uh, sent anything into the file for request. And while they're checking, one time this the probate uh, lady out there uh, in Pinal County, I believe it was, she opened this one book and fell a holographic will. Now, a holographic will is a will that's dated and written and signed in your own signature, and it's still legal today in Arizona. Well, this will said go to Valley National Bank and check my accounts there. And And also, the interesting thing, it said All my money is to go toward the research for the existence of the human soul. Now, the human soul would be a ghost if you put it it's spirit, if you put it in another uh, vernacular. So they rounded up all this fellow's money, and it turned out to be in the 60s by the time they found all of it, it turned out to be something like $300,000 dollars. Well, back then, that well, you see, that's way over, maybe two million dollars today or more. And uh, a newspaper reporter uh, caught wind of this story, and he didn't want the state to get the money. He wanted a relative to get the money, um, so he uh, he wrote the story about it and it was caught by a hundred papers across the uh, United States. And so the story got out, and. People uh, jumped out of the woodwork. Oh, I'm the relative. I'm the husband. Or I'm the wife. I'm the brother. 1,500 people came forward. So they finally decided they better have it. this thing probated by a judge. And they did. And eventually they uh, awarded, awarded it to uh, a group called Barrow's Neurological Institute. Well, Barrow's didn't do anything with it for a year or two. And this other group that was high on the list – Filed a petition with the court and said, uh, Barrows is not going to do anything, we will, and you should award the monies to us. And they did. And this group performed uh near death studies and death studies uh right before or right after or at the time of death. As a matter of fact, they wrote a book called At the Hour of Death. And in there, they tried to discover the human spirit, if it how it can and scientifically, by the way. And they, and in fact, they did. They uh, they put a body that's about to die, person about to die, on a scale, and the the room is totally closed, and they have he's on the oxygen, and at the time, right after the time they died, the body lost six ounces of weight, and they determined that the only way that they could have a weight loss would have been the spirit or the soul escaping now the, it's a very interesting did 5000 cases in america and 5000 cases in india it, it's a very interesting book written by some norwegians i believe uh or swedish i'm not quite sure but anyhow it's called at the hour of death anybody really interested in it about that could look it up on the internet i did found the book read it and come to my own conclusions. And it, if you had some near-death experiences, and I had a near-death experience. So one time they overdosed me with, uh, I was having a what you call a simple operation. There's nothing simple in America or in the world these days. And uh, they gave me too much anesthetic and I couldn't wake up from it. And I had an out-of-body experience. And it was very, very interesting. And then when I finally awoke my face was so sore from them pressing the oxygen mask on me they, and they told me we didn't we couldn't get you to come back we couldn't get you to wake up and for a briefest moment there I was hovering above them looking down on a group of people including myself and didn't realize it was myself until this episode was in, was over so uh, if you want to say yeah near-death experience that people have those yeah, I didn't see any lights or go through the light, but I surely did have a very interesting experience. And my my experiences go back to when I was nine years old. So uh, I have a history of experiences with these. And I don't take it with a grain of salt. I look at it as a skeptic. And like I say, Pete, I re- really record the information uh, and I'll give you an opportunity to ask another question. Well,
0: do, do you then is – it, is it safe to assume that with your studies and, and what you've found and your investigations and so on and your experiences, that is it safe to say that you personally do believe in ghosts?
1: Not Now I do. Now I do. My earlier
0: experiences, I wasn't quite sure. and You block
1: those out. My nine-year-old experience, when I was nine years old, I found my grandfather dead. <clears throat> but I saw a image, what I thought was beside his bed, and he said it was, he spoke to me, but his lips didn't move, and he said it's going to be okay, and he had a little nickname for me, and he called me Little Jack, and, uh, uh, in Italian, because I'm Italian, and,
0: um, in any
1: event, I blocked that out for years and years and years, did not recall that, and then, uh, uh, when I was a policeman, um a good friend of mine's wife died and on the very same evening in the house that she died in, her spirit came to me and said, Take care of Bob. And boy, this one, that was a spooky one. I mean, because I all of a sudden my the hair on my arm started to stand up, I could feel a presence. And um I turned around and there she was and I was awake. I, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't it was too much stress and I, we'd had, I'd had too much caffeine in me um, so I couldn't get to sleep and Bob couldn't sleep either because I was watching him because it was almost like a suicide watch it was like he, he, I was afraid that he was going to do something so we and he was a policeman too we took his guns away from him and everything but uh, his wife came to me and she says her lips didn't move but she again like my grandfather she, she You can read it in your mind. She says, take care of Bob. And she she was dressed, uh, you know, in white, a white robe, and her face was – you can see her face. It was her. Um, No doubt about it. Um, Those two incidents – and then after I got involved in all of these, excuse me, I started writing these up and writing up the uh, incidents – for their investigative thing. What happened? I I wrote an investigative report like I did as a police officer. Here was the background. And one of the important things to know and understand, as I got to tell more and more stories, is you must know the background of a place before you really do an investigation. Uh, There's no sense in going out to uh, a cemetery and say, Ghost, are you there? Is anybody here? That don't make sense. Um, anybody won't answer you usually. You must know uh, names, dates, you know, places, incidents, the history of something, like the history of Winnie Ruth Judd and the history of Maddie Earp, uh, Knowing that Wyatt had abandoned her, and and Maddie said in a conversation we had, she we said, are you are you angry? Because we had voice recording, and she said yes. Why are you still angry? Because Wyatt left me. She was looking for Wyatt's spirit, apparently, to tell Wyatt. She couldn't be happy until she told Wyatt's spirit why she was unhappy. And she won't leave this plane, I believe, until she crosses over. And, and she had satisfied that she's told Wyatt she was unhappy and why.
0: All right, now mm-hmm. let me. That that brings another question, which I'm jotting down right now. But before we get into some of these others that we have here that I have for you, uh, let me uh, play a few commercial messages, and then Go uh, ahead. we'll be we'll be right back. You've been listening to Arizona Boomer Radio with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Arizona Boomer. Radio Boomer the Babe are the publishers of Boomer Series books. Our authors have their own shows on the Boomer the Babe Network. We encourage you to listen. Ron Naraki, author of the forthcoming book, The Ten Commandments of Investing, is the host of Wealth DNA, a financial show about real estate investment. Learn how to build and manage your portfolio. Ron hosts the show, and he always has good information to pass along, as do his guests. Listen to Wealthy N.A. on the second and fourth Monday of the month at 8 a.m. Arizona time. Tom Liggering's another Boomer Series author. His book, Success or Failure, The Choice is Yours, is the basis of the show he does with his broadcast partner, Dr. Terry Munther. Listen to Success or Failure with Tom and Terry on the fourth Wednesday of every month at 9 a.m. Arizona time. Learn how you can maximize your performance in business and in life. The methods you employ can either help or hinder. The choice is yours. Before you book your next round of golf in Arizona, go see what golfers just like you are saying about the courses you want to play at golfmix.com. While you're there, write a review of the last course you played and get $10 off your next purchase at Vans Golf Shops and entered into our Greenskeeper of the Year contest for a chance to win a foursome at the home of the Waste Management Phoenix Open, the stadium course at TPC Scottsdale. So check out Golf Mix, Arizona's leading golf course review site and mobile app. What are you waiting for? Mix. At golfmix.com. The Boomer and the Babe are proud to be affiliated with Valley View Community Food Bank where the food is always free. Valley View is now serving Phoenix from their new 36,000-square-foot location at West Peoria and 107th Avenue in Sun City, Arizona. The new location houses the Food Bank, Feeding Arizona, and the Valley View Thrift Store. Feeding Arizona delivers food to other food banks and food pantries that are in need. If you're looking for a 501c3 to support, go to valleyviewcommunityfoodbank.com. All donations are welcome, be it food, money, or volunteer hours. No donation is too small. Get a hold of Jesse Ramirez, founder and director, and say, I want to help. Valley View Community Food Bank, where the food is always free. And we're back. It's Monday, November nineteenth, 2012, and we're here on Arizona Boomer Radio. We're talking with Ghost Hunter and raconteur mr jack sand Felice. uh and as we were before we went to break, we were talking about uh maddie uh Wyatt Earp's uh second wife was it
1: second wife that's correct and uh
0: and and you were saying that uh in in talking to her spirit uh you discovered that it was a case that uh she was Quite possibly, looking for Wyatt Earp to give him what uh, to give him a little bit of what for about the fact that uh, he left her. Now, uh, is it is it possible that she will always be doomed, if you will, for lack of a better word, to stay in the plane that she is now because maybe Wyatt Earp has moved on and he's no longer here.
1: That's quite possible, but she's here. You see, um, the two. Um, uh, Several of the people i've talked to have this same uh, feeling that I do or thoughts that the the people that that the spirits that are here have this very very intense desire to find something or say something or clear the air so to speak, and if they don't they're going to stay here now It's possible that her spirit may come across not not Maybe not Wyatt's, but maybe one of Wyatt's brothers or or maybe one of the brother's wives. And maybe that will be enough for her to move on. Or maybe uh, something will occur that she will be able to move on. Or maybe somebody will do a cleansing. Maybe some spiritualist will come to the cemetery and do a cleansing and help her uh, move on. Sometimes that does occur. I don't know if I quite yet understand what that's all about. Um, it's, it's a very interesting story. D- going through this whole process, the, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to get into paranormal investigations as as evidenced by looking at some of these television shows. Um, the, you need some basic equipment, and that's an EMF meter, uh, a good digital camera, and and um, the digital camera. Uh, I will tell you why, and if I can move forward with that story, then that will jump forward into a couple of places uh, in Flagstaff and outside of Flagstaff, if I may.
0: Let me, let me just ask you one more question, Jack, and then that, then we'll then we'll follow that thing about the okay. So on. Can a a ghost that is here uh, be um, be harmful to the living?
1: Not a ghost, but a demon.
0: A demon. Okay, all right. A demon. If the
1: religious people believe that some of the voices that you hear are demons, and matter of fact, one of the incidents occurred out here in Globe recently. Uh, Grace Guerra uh, wrote it up about um, a wedding that they did. Uh, actually, it wasn't in Globe. It was at uh, the little town of Miami. It happened at Bullion Plaza, where. Uh, uh, a demon apparently surfaced and has has uh, tried to attach itself to um, a human and to haunt quote a human in demonic uh, ways and that's kind of a weird thing. In uh, two instances, this has occurred. That one and another one and um, where we did a. a where we did a ghost hunt at an old mine site outside of Globe where in fact a woman uh was killed in the nineteen fifties, murdered during a satanic ritual. And both of those um things give you the willies, so to speak. And, and you know, um there's more that meets the eye, uh, with regards to that. Um if you're religious, you believe in You believe in Satan and you believe in demons. And yeah, are these bad people? Maybe they're just bad spirits. And they're the spirits of murderers or uh, evil people that can't leave uh, this plane and may never be able to leave because of the harmful thing they've done in this lifetime. Uh, That's another facet that I really have to explore a little more, and, hey, while we're listening, you know, while I'm talking, I'll have to tell people I am not an expert at this. I'll be the first to say I'm not an expert. Uh, I uh, am an investigator, and I look at things uh, from an investigative point of view, and the equipment that I have uh, are investigative tools, and they're basic tools. They don't cost that much, and if you really want to get into it, you can do it. My son has a friendly spirit that apparently inhabits his house over in Phoenix and does um, silly things like leave a door open or a light on or things like that. And so I went over there with my EMF meter, and sure enough, I got readings every time I'd been there. And it's uh, it's of a woman who passed away there. And why she won't move on to the next plane, I don't know. I Since I don't know that much about it, uh yet, one of these days I'll do a real in-depth investigation and find out more about the person and the woman and why she's a ghost and then maybe be able to cleanse her uh, find some people to come in and cleanse her and have her move on to the next plane. You were
0: talking. You were starting to talk about some of the equipment and so on and so forth, and right. uh, and also you said uh, there are some interesting in, uh, incidents and stories about uh, the Flagstaff area.
1: I got to tell you, it's so funny because it involves my friends Chip uh, Moonves and and my friend from a long time, um, Cindy Nelson, who live in Scottsdale, and we go to Flagstaff uh, for her birthday every year, and we're there, and I said, well, let's do a ghost hunt while we're here. We're looking for. You know, things to do. There's so much walking around, sightseeing you can do. So we go to the Monta Vista Hotel. And I get permission from the manager there to go in certain of the rooms. Now, they have a uh, they have a website, uh, Monta Vista Hotel, and talk about the ghosts that are there. And so we went into some of the rooms, and Chip, very, very much a skeptic, a New Yorker, by the way, and very much a skeptic. But every room we go into, my meter starts jumping, and it starts going off. And, and then eventually, we go into a room, and, and and Chip starts getting these weird feelings. And so he got a – first thing he does is looks under the bed for boogeymen. So every room we went into there on, he would pull up the sheets or the covers and look under the bed to make sure there were no boogeymen hiding under there. And I got some great um, – and then I got some photos in the hallway of some strange, you know, lights. I'm not quite sure what it was, and I'm still not quite sure. But I got some strange light at the Monta Vista, and I got readings in every place. In one ho- in one hotel room there, I got readings, very, very strong readings, off of a painting. And I'm not quite sure. I don't know the story of that, and I'm – the The Manager at the time couldn't tell me what the deal was on the painting, but nothing else in the room showed up, but when I get by that painting, bam that my meter would go crazy and in another place there's a rocking chair and uh another room, and then this rocking chair will move all of its own It's by a window, and it's uh in a in a room I believe where two women were murdered and thrown out the window. And somebody has come by, and they sit in that rocking chair, and they're apparently looking for those two women or two girls that were brought into the Monta Vista Hotel and murdered and thrown out the window. Um, the two culprits were arrested and convicted and probably – I'm not sure, but I think I think because of the date and time, they probably were executed before they had, had uh, exec- stopped executions in the uh, – and uh, in the state of Arizona. Now the other one took place at the um, uh, La Posada, which is a Winslow, and I nobody was there. Nobody was, uh, you know, in the rooms upstairs. It was about noon. Everybody was eating lunch, and I got my meter, and I'm going upstairs, and I have my camera. My I have a good digital, and and, and if you're going to do ghost hunting, get a good digital with a good lens, because it'll pick up things that the human eye can't see. So here I am and I'm looking at the hallway, I'm taking some pictures and I'm going down, I'm getting some readings, and I start and I you know, you thumb back to check your photos to make sure you got um you you got something. I look in the corner of one photo, I see something. Now what is it? So I blow it up and it's the image of a man. Well I get down there, knock on the doors, nobody answers, there's nobody there and there's no doorway at the end of the hallway, nowhere to go and it was and then i got a reading a meter reading right at that door so did a spirit come out of that door can't tell you but it's on my photograph as as other images that i've taken at um um superior i go into the old silver king hotel in superior and then i'm i'm the only one in there and i take a photo and you can see my shadow in the photo. And then at the far end, you can see two figures in black. Well, I, since I was the only one there, what are these? What are these two figures? We we got a lot of experience from uh, the old Silver King Hotel, including a story I may have told you about. I started asking names. And, um, and in the uh, names I go through, and I'm, there's this one woman who's been married five times. Her name was originally Molly uh, Mary Whitlow, but everybody called her Molly. And so we're sitting down, and I'm asking uh, questions, and my meter goes off. And I said, uh, well, I say, Molly Bailey, are you here? And I say, Molly Bailey, are you here? Bip, my meter goes off. All all five lights light up. And and then I say, she answered. Well, I couldn't hear it anything when we went back and replayed my uh, grace replayed the recording device she had you can the time sequence of it is when you hear my voice said she answered just before that the voice comes on and said i am molly now that was my first experience with recordings and i tell you it gave me the willies to listen to it
0: oh my goodness when these when you capture these voices uh, yes, uh, the, when she says I am Molly, I mean—is it like you and I speaking? That is it that clear? Is it so, does it I am Molly? So that there is absolutely no question about it.
1: No, there's no question about it. Uh, if you enhance the, if you enhance it,
0: you have to not enhance it digitally.
1: Play with it. I'm, I mean, I now we're hearing aid where I never wore one before, because you can't hear. You know, you, you just make the volume go up so you can hear if there's anything there. And what you do is you enhance the volume, and that's about it. Uh, or or you, you try to – some people have devices that they spend $10,000 on, and they, they're able to not only um, uh, enhance the volume, but take out the uh, road noises or cars going by or things like that so you can actually hear other things. Yeah, I'll tell you, Pete, this has been uh, – hey, look, I've hiked the Superstition Mountains in search of the lost Dutchman for so many years and found so many – a thousand old mines. My knees are wearing out. And I said to myself, hmm, you know, what else am I going to do? And, and I want my knees to last five more years, so I'm doing less hiking and more ghost hunting and more writing these days. <laughs> so, So that's one of the reasons I'm really involved. Now, I've got this binder that's absolutely full. Chock full of stories, and I've only covered you know a few of them with you. Uh, I mean, uh, I could go on and talk for eight hours about the different stories, and about the history behind um, the trunk murderer, Winnie Ruth Judd, the um, the story at the um, uh, between um, Billy O'Boyle, the Silver King owner, and Ned Cowboy Ned Fells over a, a gal named Katie. And I originally thought her name was Kelly, but when we went up there with voice recorders and she said, My name is Catherine, I said and then we said, Did they ever call you Katie? And the lights laid light up on my meter. So there are three people that we've got on voice, Billy O'Boyle, Ned Fells, who was lynched for the murder of of Billy O'Boyle. He didn't murder him, it was an it was a old west shootout on the main street of the town of Silver King. And the girl involved was Katie, a beautiful waitress that worked at the Silver King Hotel. That's uh, probably a story for another time.
0: There's always a woman involved, isn't there?
1: There's always a woman involved. (laughs) Hey, listen, uh, the old West scene, and and Arizona was the Wild West, by the way. Uh, Everybody, you know, the old cowboys all carried guns, and they were romantic, dashing figures. A lot of them came from the East. Out here to be west, they got caught up in some of these um, cattle rustling, horse rustling escapades like the Pleasant Valley War. And others just came out for the excitement of being a cowboy. Let me tell you, being a cowboy is very, 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 very hard work. I I romanticized as a kid about being a cowboy, but I don't think I ever, ever, if I ever tried that, uh, would probably have done it. It's the difficulty and the physical labor expended and the skills you must have. And the fact you get beat up and broke up in arthritis. Looking at it from a hindsight, I don't think I could have done it. But I've written about the cowboys in my book, Superstition Cowboys. I'm trying to get my other book out, Lost Eldorado, and I'm rewriting it. And I'm rewriting and rewriting and putting it in more of a chronological uh, activity, Type of sequence so that the, all of these little vignettes make sense, and um, I'm all excited about it coming out. Anyhow, I've had some very great experiences, and I've even took my grandchildren on a ghost hunt. Oh, and it was out in the Superstition Mountains, and out of a place next to Bob Ward's cabin. And in fact, we I with my EMF meter, was able to find out that a priest had died out there. Uh, and an old Visita, which was a place where priests came to uh, hold services in the old days. But uh, I know we're, we've got to wrap this up because our time is running short.
0: We're in good shape on time. Don't worry about the time. Oh, okay. You. <laughs> um, ha- have you Have you actually ever been – frightened, scared, uh, on a ghost hunt? Oh, let
1: me put it, yeah. Well, frightened, yeah. Scared oh, is a different term Term there. Frightened because I got so nauseous I thought I was going to throw up right then and there. And the place I was in what, had been an old brothel, and uh, a woman, had uh, a prostitute, had allegedly committed suicide there. When I walked in there uh, upstairs, I uh, immediately got the the um uh the hairs on my arms, back of my neck stood up and I got real nauseous. And so I had to get out of there. And I so I went to the back where there was a door and opened up and stood out on the balcony to get some fresh air. And I was not the only one. There was another girl with me and she got the same feelings as I did. And when I told this story in um, in Superior, this happened in Superior, that a lady in the back of the room started laughing. And I said, well, what are you laughing about? She said, I bought that building and renovated that upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a little funny, uh, a little funny tune to it. So maybe uh, nobody else will have those feelings. But uh, I sure did and I didn't know it at the time that, Someone had actually committed suicide in there 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 are, there are other devices one that measures measures um uh you know the temperature around you and sometimes uh, I've been on these uh ghost hunts where my meter will go off and immediately the temperature would drop uh One was at that old mine out there outside of globe where I was talking to this woman for at least a half hour and um i saw a shadow where no shadow should have been i was taking photographs and i saw a shadow where no shadow uh should have been and there was marked on this post out there in spanish the word death and so i focused in on that area and then and then i began to get uh be, began to get the readings on my emf meter and therefore uh, moved on from there a series of questions to find out what had occurred. But uh, I brought the fellow overhead the temperature meter. I've got to get one of those. You, but you can carry so much equipment that you can't you, – you um, it becomes unrealistic for you to watch all your gadgets at once. You have to you know, decide what you want to do, and different people have different equipment. That's a good thing about going with a small group. Different people have different- equipment and you don't have to do it, so I called him on over and by the way, because this was a place where satanic rituals took place, we took bibles and crosses and holy water. We were prepared for demons, and uh the people that were involved in this they were prepared for demons, and so we in fact uh it's weird, I set my Bible down and all of a sudden, no wind being around, all of a sudden, the Bible start, all the pages opened up. Flip, 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 they start flipping. And that that in and of itself was enough to give you the willies. But then talking to this woman that had been murdered there, yeah, we made sure that, um, you know, we were protected. and uh for not only the things of the of the undead, but of the live, in case any of the other people that might want to come out there and um, uh, be upset because we're in their area. Because the pentagrams were all over the darn place and the word kill and all that stuff. Very visible, still very visible. And maybe they still go out there to to kill cats or something. Who knows? There's a lot of weird people in this world.
0: Yes, anyhow,
1: every time my EMF meter went off, the temperature dropped 10 to 15 degrees right next to me.
0: Hmm.
1: So, yeah, those kinds of things will give you the, the – uh, and then when you get a voice, and it's happened more than once, that tells you, uh, leave us or get out of here
0: or leave,
1: yeah, that's kind of an indication that uh,
0: perhaps Somebody, – Somebody's not happy to have you there.
1: Yeah. And, hey, if we're not happy, uh someone don't want us there, uh, we'll leave. <laughs> well, uh, the, the story that really got me involved, I guess, would be the story of James Kidd in all of this, and then then the Silver King mine, and then, the, and then remembering those things going back. Uh, I, I tell you, one of my favorite stories is a ghost story that happened when I was deer hunting in Deep Creek Lake, Maryland, in the 1970s. And we were in this cabin right on the lake, and it was about oh three o'clock in the morning. We were going to get up at 4 so we could be out into the mountains before daylight. And at 3 o'clock, uh, I could smell smoke. And I said, darn it, They whoever came in late did not put logs in the fireplace. So I went down to put logs in. All the lights are on downstairs. All the logs are on. I rebuild the fire up, shut the lights off, come on back, come on back upstairs, and I'm reading because I can't go back to sleep. It only about an hour. Well, doggone, uh, I see two images come down the hallway. They come down the hallway, open the window up, and go to the right into a room. And I yell, shut the window. It's, it's like zero out. And I go back out there, shut the window, and looked around, and I said, "Darn, must have been the landlady." And so I go back downstairs. I said, "I'm up. I'm, I'm go back downstairs to put some um, coffee on and put some hot water on for cereal and whatnot." And all the lights are on again. And everybody's still asleep in bed. And everybody made fun of me of this story in the morning. But then strange things started to happen. Lights were on uh, noises were were made doors were unlocked uh, and so I did a history of the thing of that place and found out that a man and his son drowned in the lake right outside the cabin and that his wife and um, his daughter the wife and the daughter uh, were in the place and they they had been watching out that window, looking for them, and they apparently saw the boy fall out of the boat, and then the father go down for him, and never did find either one. But that—that uh, that was a little historical research. Why it's important to do that of what happened there, and uh, everybody laughed. But then, then they talked about Jack's ghost for years, of you know how that. Thing, uh, or whatever it was surface. the woman was dressed I, I, listen she was dressed like it was in the 40s her hair was in the style of the 40s and was black hair she was wearing a dress that was a purple flowery dress like people wore length and everything in the 40s and I'll I tell you this was one of the most vivid images and the fact that the window was open nobody fessed up to opening the window and like i say we found out that the landlady was 65 and had silver hair so couldn't have been her no. and the fact that there was uh, two deaths there that occurred from people that were staying at that cabin kind of really brought it home to me and i you know i let i let that i let that go in the back of my mind and didn't really think about it again until i got involved in the ghost hunting as i did some of the other experiences Um, of people close to me that I've seen uh, their spirits at the hour of death Um, very very interesting you you have to I guess be a believer or if you really believe in these things or you have to have scientific evidence I'm more of a person uh, of a scientific evidence believer Um, you believe in the spirit um, so I, I don't know I think that there's more things on heaven and earth that uh, that surface that we know about
0: um, mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Uh, let me ask you this question uh, how do you decide or who decides where to go and look for these ghosts
1: well we try to go to places A where we're asked to come a lot of times people will ask us to go to these places Or uh, we will do a historical background and say, well, this sounds interesting. Why don't we do this? Uh, Or somebody is uh, well acquainted with uh, an incident of uh, perhaps a a ghost maybe being there. Or uh, that's really the way it surfaces. Uh, An interest by somebody, for instance, the Monta Vista Hotel, it had the history and the – on ghosts being there, so I said, Hey, we're here, let's do some ghost hunting and not only photographic but um, the emf meter. It was very funny watching Chip look under every bed for <laughs> ghosts don't hide under beds, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's well, a spirit that... <laughs> that just kind of uh, um, evokes itself. At one time, we're we are, and I've seen faces, the faces, you know. Uh, and I saw a face in Superior, and I saw those two figures in Superior. And then I have a photo of a face coming out of the mine, breaking the grid uh, of my uh, laser grid. Oh, it's shut, it throws out a green, a green grid, it, um, and it, go, it can cover 40 feet if you want it to. But I normally try to keep it at about 8 to 12 feet. So you can see things more clearly if something is. And I got a, actually got a photograph of what appears to be a face. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, speaking from the, an old policeman perspective, um, old Jack Webb always said, show me the facts. Nothing yeah. but the facts, man. And what I try to do is gather the facts. Hey, the history, what it is, what occurred, what happened, and the why of it, and who. Who, when, why, how, and what?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what an old investigator would would look for, and if you see if you can gather some evidence to support the theory that ghosts are there. I certainly don't want to get involved in demons. Right? Demon searching? No, that's not my, and I other people I know know don't want that either. So. Um, we're more or less we're more or less looking for Casper, the friendly ghost. <laughs> does
0: does a does a ghost uh, travel? I mean, for instance, uh, you you encounter these ghosts uh, in uh, in or spirits in various locations. Are they always at that location, or can they can they travel from Arizona to California and back again?
1: I don't think so. I think generally they are going to be in in the place wherever the the uh, thing happened to them, like Maddie was buried at that cemetery, like um, Ned Fells was lynched at Silver King, like the miners had died in the mine, like uh, the lady of the lake, her husband and and uh, son died there. Uh, I think it's more or less, I, I, I have no experience with traveling ghosts uh my experience is that v- these things happen where something very important or or dynamic happened to the individual while they were alive so they're
0: basically attached to that area then i think so i think they
1: i think they're basically attached i i i can tell you a very interesting story about uh eva dugan now now you've heard the story um, Lizzie Borden took an axe, right, and that's a that was a little ditty. It said and gave her mother forty wax, and she saw what she had done. She gave her father forty one. Well, Eva Dugan, who had been a, a cabaret singer in the days of the um, uh, Alaska Gold Rush, came to Arizona, and she was working as a housekeeper. For a uh, gentleman uh, who was a a rancher by the name of Andrew Mathis, he he was an elderly rancher, but he wasn't a cow rancher. All these stories are fascinating. He was a chicken rancher from Pima County. She murdered him with an axe and decapitated him. And then she stole his new Dodge Coupe, and this happened in 1930, and uh which she sold in Kansas City, and she went on to new york well in in uh, New York, the police found out that she uh was um sold a stolen automobile what they thought, and so they arrested her for that but while she's out on bond, a camper was down at uh um, was digging a Part of his campsite, he was digging something, and he hit what he thought was a rock, and he dug it up. It was the skull,
0: hmm.
1: and it was the skull of Mathis. So he called the sheriff, and then they arrested her, and they had a trial back here in Arizona, and then she was scheduled to be hung uh, on March, in March of 1930. Well, hanging was still um, uh, the preferred way of execution— and that was at Florence at the prison and so before that she had a sanity hearing and then she had a stay of execution and a hearing to try to uh, lessen it from first degree murder to second degree murder so she wouldn't be executed so the execution everybody was interested cuz the bizarre manner of it so the the place that the room that this takes place in this execution room it holds twenty people, but sixty five people had packed into it. They put her up on a scaffold and they put the noose around her and l- listen to what happens next. Well, they drop the uh they uh drop the scaffold door, she falls, she falls, but her head stayed in the noose. Then the head falls and rolls over to and splatters five of the witnesses that fainted. Two were women and three were men. So, right after that, they changed the style of execution from hanging in Arizona to that of the gas chamber. So, that brought about the gas chamber from which about 100 people were executed in the gas chamber here in uh, the penitentiary in Florence uh, after uh, Eva Dugan. Now, I was able to raise Eva Dugan on the EMF meter, and I really didn't know much about the case. But it was really a landmark case because it it, um, changed the method of execution from... um, Hanging to gas chamber now.
0: Wow. Now, now, now is that why there in uh, in Florence? Is the Eva Dugan Memorial Gas Chamber?
1: Hey, yeah, the Eva Dugan Memorial Gas Chamber <laughs> is there. It's still there, by the way.
0: Oh, the gas
1: chamber is still there. the The execution rooms there, although they don't execute by uh, any method other than. Um, Injection. Lethal injection now.
0: Right.
1: Uh, Now, other states still, bizarre as it may be, other states still have hanging. Well, Eva Dugan, let me tell you, when I was going through and asking questions up at that court, the old courtroom, about Eva Dugan, man, did I get evil feelings. You know? I decided I'm going to leave this one alone. That This is probably as far as I'm going with Eva Dugan.
0: Wow! amazing. That, yeah,
1: the the feelings were just too weird for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, oh. so she can stay um, uh, wherever she is in that plane, and I hope she stays for eternity because she brings back that old ditty. Lizzie Borden took an axe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. gave her mother forty wax. When she had saw what she had done, she gave her father forty one, and that really that that in and of itself reminds me of this Eva Dugan story. By the way, the press called her cheerful Eva. Oh, <laughs> yeah, cheerful <laughs> oh. Eva. Wow, she was very cheerful at her trial, which to me maybe she was. Who knows? Maybe she her, maybe her spirit was. Um, was inhabited by demons. Who knows right, right, why she did such a thing? Yeah.
0: When, your group, the group that you're affo- affiliated with? I mean, are they uh, are they a um, uh, an organized, recognized group that uh, travels around and is asked to come out and do these investigations? Or well, uh, it is. Are, it's
1: asked not only to do investigations, but cleansings. Oh. Where they can actually actually rid a place of a ghost. I'll be darned. I've never participated in one of those cleansings, but I plan to.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I want to see how this um, how this thing would work out. I'm not sure a ritual cleansing. I'm not sure how that's done, but apparently uh, Grace and some of her other the other group. Now this is a let me call this a confederation. The ghost of ghosts is like a confederation, a loose knit confederation of, of, and it's all volunteer. And you, you get a notice on an email: we're going to do an investigation. You want to participate? Call me. And that's generally the way it goes. And Grace is, is, is the self ordained leader of the group at this time.
0: I see. So yeah. I, I what well, just crossed my mind. I, I just I want to make this offhand, smart aleck remark. But when you're doing a uh, a cleansing, what do you all get together and you just sneak up on the ghost and go, boop? <laughs> no, Now There's, <laughs> and there's the ghost, a ritual and the ghost. that they use, <laughs> and the ghost runs and, away. <laughs> no, it don't run away. It includes prayers. <laughs> sure, I understand. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it includes prayer, but uh, it. Um, uh, it, because it's to rid a demon, see, mm-hmm. it's to rid a demon or a poltergeist or an unfriendly ghost. Uh, generally, people ignore and 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 for the most part don't even know they're there, and and they can't put two and two together that this this thing that's happening is is because of something else. Um, yeah, there's. Like I say, more to meet the eye to this, and uh, again, let me profess, I am no expert uh, in the, in the ways of the occult or ghost hunting. I probably am called a novice, mm-hmm. but but my experience from being in law enforcement thirty years, I know how to write an investigative report, and I'm like Jack Webb. I record the facts, uh, what's seen on my camera. Uh, what I hear, what I feel, what my EMF meter does, what my little laser device does, and what else shows up on voice recordings from other uh, pieces of equipment other people have. Um, like I say, some of the equipment is so unwieldy, it takes forever to set up. We're doing a ghost hunt in the Globe Jail of a an alleged murderer who uh, allegedly killed two young girls. And while he was in the jail cell at Globe, somebody from the courthouse shot him with a rifle and killed him. And his spirit shows up. And I was there on the night of 100 years since it had occurred. And I have my own investigative report that I wrote on it. Uh, regards to my emf meter and the rest of the jail and not only that i saw a couple of things that weren't weren't even related to that incident but of two people that were executed named griffith griffith and stewart i believe their names they were two murderers who were executed in the courtyard between the um between the courthouse and the jail, they set up a scaffolding there and executed two murderers, Griffith and Stewart, uh, who had killed two hunters and murdered two hunters and those they were convicted of first degree murder and executed and I saw um, what appeared to be their spirits between the courthouse and the jail right in the courtyard where their executions took place. And maybe that's why their spirits can't leave there until something happens. Or they're forgiven. Or there's a cleansing. Don't know. Don't well, know, but I I did investigative a uh, background on on this and there's a, a, a very lengthy um court case on it. Hmm. That deals with the uh murders and i remember one of the one of the fellows names is kibby that i believe was killed um at a hunting cabin up in the mountains in arizona um, yeah um that uh, those i guess are some of my more memorable um more memorable uh occurrences I have several other that I've written up, um, several other uh, people, uh, several yet to do. Uh, Like I said, my knees are going, I I want to hope to hike five more years, and um, I do more ghost hunting and writing up and do more investigative information. It's funny, the, the one story, though, about the lady... At the back of this lecture I'm giving is talk on ghosts, and she's laughing and i'm I asked her finally, I said, "What's so funny? You don't believe in it?" She said, "No, I bought that building
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. and now and she totally renovated it uh, well, Jack, I,
0: I, go ahead. I had- yeah, I had to cut you up, but we are now getting down because I, I I knew this was going to go long today because I just love listening to you and talking okay. to you. Okay. And uh, and but we do have to cut it off. And I just uh, want to mention to you, there's a there's an organization that uh, uh, that was in one of those commercials that you probably heard earlier, and the building that they're in, they say there is a ghost there. And, wow. Uh, and I. Uh, I want to talk to you about that as, as, Okay. So so I'll I'll give you a call on that and uh why don't you go ahead and give your shameless self promotion tell everybody where they can get all your stuff and your books and your everything you've written and so on and so forth.
1: Okay. Well, they can they can get on my um I have a blog uh under my name um and then I also have a email azjack212 at gmail.com, or some of my books are for sale at Superstition Mountain Museum outside of Apache Junction and at ProMac Treasure Hunting on the Apache Trail in Apache Junction. I sell locally, but also off of you can get Silver King book through Amazon.com. All you have to do is type in Silver King uh, mine and that'll lead you to it and if you can find my blog then um let me get my blog address and if if you have a second sure uh, it's yeah it's the http um you know kind of stuff jack Felice at blogspot blogspot.com uh forward slash so that that kind of gives you a background and, and gives you my background, some of the things I'm involved in. And, and uh, Superstition Cowboys is a very good book. Uh, someone had to write it, and I did. It's all about the cowboys that were real cowboys in the Superstition Mountains of Arizona, of which there are only a handful left. And at one time, there were hundreds. At one time, there were tens of thousands of cattle roaming there. And uh, these were real cowboys with real stories. And one of them was so tough he even kept Mount Line for a pet. Uh, So if you and a lot of photographs, I believe in uh, visual arts, and in my books you will always find a lot of photographs. Uh, The book I'm working on right now, Lost El Dorado of Jacob Waltz, will be out shortly in the new year, and it'll have over 450 images. And many, many stories about the search for the Dutchman, including my search for the Dutchman and what I believe to be the lost Dutchman mine. That's a story in and of itself. Boy, I'll tell
0: you. That's a 25-year search. Well, we will have you back. There's no doubt about it. Uh, (laughs) And and we certainly enjoy the conversation. And uh, you and I will be talking here very shortly after this show. Uh, But I'm very grateful that you were able to spend all this time with us today because it certainly has been a has been a lot of fun. So uh, have a great day, and we'll be talking to you again real soon. Hey,
1: it's Monday, and I'm alive, and thank God I'm alive.
0: Thanks, Jack. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Arizona Boomer Radio with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com Boomer and Babe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com Boomer and Babe follow their tweets at twitter.com slash Boomer and babe be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life and remember at 50 you're just getting started it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper